Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of All Things Marketing and Education. I am Ilana Leone, and I am so excited to talk with my friend Todd Finley. Todd and I have known each other for, gosh, over a decade now. Makes us feel old, at least, right? Um, I truly feel honored to know you, Todd. We first met at Edutopia, known as the George Lucas Educational Foundation, and he was a writer and blogger for them for almost over 10 years. He wrote over 150 articles for them. And for those of you that are back in the day true Edutopia fans, if you remember those guides, he did those guides as well, along with some other talented writers like Susie Boss. Um, but I am just, I feel so lucky, Todd, that we have been able to keep in touch and our paths have been able to cross again and again. Um, I roped Todd in to write ebooks for some of my clients back early in the day. And I also introduced him to one of our clients, an education division of Meta, where he helped to work alongside that little startup and create some pr uh, products in the computer science world, which was really fascinating. So um, I know Todd will talk a lot more about himself, but before he does, I want to tell you, Todd, because you probably people do not tell you these beautiful things about yourself, but you are a wonderful, beautiful writer. I am in awe of what you write, how you write, and how you interweave research in such a practical, just non- just non-intimidating way, I would say. And that's exactly why we're having you on the show, because today we're going to be talking about gamification. And that sounds intimidating. And you have research and you have theory, but you also have that practicality where teachers listen to it and they say, wow, I can do this. I can do that tomorrow. So I'm excited to have you on. And for the ed tech folk, we're also going to be talking a little bit about how this may apply to how your product can intrigue and entice your audience of educators. So with that said, I am just so blessed to have you on, Todd. Did I miss anything that you want to talk about <laughs> yourself? I didn't talk about your education or where you're teaching now. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Okay. And, and just know that you're one of my favorite people that I don't see very often. And um, so this is a, a thrill for me and I'm honored to be here. So thank you for all that. And thank you for that warm introduction. That was really sweet. Um, so I live in uh, North Carolina. In the eastern part, I work at East Carolina University. Um, I'm married to a teacher. My parents were teachers. My daughter is not a teacher. And um, I, I think about education a lot, and it's sort of all around me. Um, I teach methods courses for future English teachers at East Carolina University in the College of Education. Um, my real passion actually is in, in writing. Uh, my master's was in creative and professional writing, and my PhD was in curriculum instruction. So I think those are kind of the, the kind of the basics. Uh, I guess one of the things that I like best about, about uh, teaching and learning is that it's complex and it's has been changing a ton over the last few years. And so it's, it keeps me very interested. I'm, I'm hoping to be doing this job for a long time. Yeah. And I think the other thing I didn't mention about you is that it, for those of you that are on Twitter, please do follow um, Todd. You're at, at Finley T, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so he has these things called brain blasts and really boils down any kind of type of thing. It might be um, how exit tickets or engagement or gamification or whatever it may be, but he has them and turns them into these downloadable cool graphics called brain blasts. So do follow him there. Um, I'm sure he has one that we can link to in our show notes as well <laughs> around gamification too. Um, and a little bit of a plug for me. I remember when we first had conversations about Twitter and you're like, ah, should I be on it? 
<laughs> I'm like, yes, let's show you how. <laughs> I, actually, I remember being really bad at Twitter. Um, and then uh, and then I kind of implemented some of your practices of being interactive. And I won this award from you. You gave me this Yoda award. <laughs> oh, which, my gosh. Which sits on my desk for most improved, which tells you how terrible I was at, at Twitter. So really, you taught me Twitter. And for those of you in the audience that can't see, he just showed a little bit of a, a figurine of a Yoda. And I remember that we used to have offsites for our writers and our bloggers, and we would reward them for what they would be doing. And I would always try to make a fun game out of something, you know, but that is awesome. So, so and you did make it into a game and then you did give us reward. And so obviously that has staying power and that it's it has stayed with me so long. So, and I, I don't keep a lot of things, but I, I do keep that. So I appreciate that. Can I just mention that um, one of the things that I was trying to do with the, the brain blast graphics is uh, I was frustrated with education blog posts where there wasn't a whole lot of uh, information that was nutritious. Like you'd read all this kind of context and you'd, you'd maybe have one small idea at the end. And so what I thought I'd do is on one page, put a lot of ideas all in, in one place and try and make it uh uh, visually dynamic so that people could could uh, at, at least uh, see it in amongst all the other kind of stuff that is uh, that you know the Twitter has so so I, yeah. the idea is that it's sort of be, it's supposed to be attention grabbing like a good infographic yeah and I, I could see because I, I read a lot of education articles and blog posts and sometimes you'll see like five things or two things and those two things are written with lots of detail but if those two things don't apply to you or don't grab your attention or you just can't see it working in your own classroom or your own environment you kind of lost my opportunity i'm like ugh, but you give like 50 <laughs> like 30 <laughs> and so i can find at least one of those things i'm like i'm gonna try one of those yeah thank so you that's really helpful all right, so we are gonna be jumping into the wonderful topic of gamification. And this is not an area I know a ton about, so I'm excited to learn from you, Todd. Um, I know that you're not the only one talking about gamification and it's not a new concept, but can you talk about just a little bit about how you got started and maybe how your interest um, came about with gamification in particular? And obviously talk about a little bit about what gamification is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a long story, but I'll try and uh, make it a little bit faster. Uh, well, first of all, uh, gamification is applying game mechanics to learning environments um, or like classrooms, for example. And, and sometimes gamification and game-based learning get confused. Game-based learning is taking an existing game that was just developed to be fun and then repurposing it to be educational. So um, so those are the two terms. And the way I got interested in it is that I did a study of our teacher educators. And uh, what I was finding in the, in the study was that their views of engagement were uh, more like compliance. So they would see a student picking up their pencil and looking at the teacher and say, that student was highly engaged. And I thought, they don't really know what engagement is. So I thought what we need to do is we need to give our uh, pre-service teachers an experience that um, is so engaging and so transformative that they know for the rest of their lives in their career what, it li what it's like to be truly engaged in an educational context. And so um, at ECU, we developed a few different things like a gamification retreat, which is an all day retreat and we invite the history education majors and English, educa English education uh, members, and then we put them into small groups, into teams. And, and by the end of the day, in these kind of game experiences, they are so excited and so pep, they're, they're literally singing when they, when they, when they leave. Um, and so our students refer to that as being one of those watershed moments for them in our program. So, and um, I've also applied it when I was a coordinator for the new faculty orientation at ECU. And so we gamified that whole process of onboarding new professors. Um, and then I've also applied it in these small simulations that I do in every, every class. So um, I saw these uh, profound kind of moments where people were affected by this emotionally. And, and that really made me gravitate towards integrating this stuff into my, my classrooms more and more. So 
you said a lot of good things there, and I want to unpack some of them. But one you said is a lot of times educators define engagement as compliance, like, oh, they did this or they did that. And I remember once I was asked to observe a classroom and almost define engagement by them, by keeping track of them not disrupting the class. Mm -hmm. And then I thought that, you know, if they had less distractions or disruptions, they were engaged. That's not true at all. We, we do not know how to truly measure engagement. And I, I think that you have some tips and some thoughts around that, but you want to kind of dive into that a little bit more. I think that's so important at that point. Yeah, well, I can talk about things that we do to, to um, gamify the class a little bit. And some of it involves social emotional learning activities, too, that we do in class. Um, but I think the idea is that we really don't know what's inside kids' heads when they're not talking. And, uh, and we make assumptions based on, like, you know, when I was in high school, I remember I was really good at furring my brows a little bit, like I was really paying attention and nodding and smiling at the teacher. And I completely was disassociated throughout the entire entire day. I really suffered for that, actually. Um, so I wasn't engaged at all. And it turns out that uh, all of the research that we're saying is there's we have chronic disengagement in schools. That there, it's profound, particularly in the upper grades, um, less so in the lower grades. But and particularly in this post-COVID era, we have uh, massive uh, disengagement. So. Uh, Part of engagement, like when you think about the word engage, actually um, the root word has to do with, like think about fencing when you do, when you engage with somebody <laughs> and, and uh, you're both really paying attention and there's an intensity and there's a, sort of a commitment and there's a participation as part of it. It's all part of engagement. And so it's actually physical and it's emotional um, and it's strategic. And so those are all key parts of in, engagement. And the, the, the research shows that if you, um, if you have students do something that's engaging um, and then have content that occurs right after it, like they're learning, they're learning vocabulary right after that, that because dopamine is released um, and the hippocampus really responds to dopamine, then recall is increased. So there's a way in which engaging activities warm up the hippocampus for learning. And you don't even have to have the activity relate to what they're about to learn. <laughs> by the way, you could do the same thing by having a learning activity and then doing some kind of a game or energizer after the activity, and you can have the same effect. So um, I had a colleague when, uh, who used to say, well, learning, learning isn't supposed to be fun. I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Um, when you make learning fun, then you actually have students are, who are more successful. They recall better. They perform better. Um, and uh, there's there's part of the, this uh, gamification or gaming mindset that's I think really important. And I, I don't know, Alana, have you read um, Jane McGonigal's Super Better? No, but you, you remember Betty from Edutopia? She would talk about that a lot. And um, I I believe I I heard a, a mini keynote from her a long time ago at one of the conferences. But for our audience, we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. But please okay. talk a little bit about it. Oh, well, what I like that she um, and and a lot of her information is I mean she um, she's a PhD and researcher um, and also a game designer, and she had this experience where as she is an athlete and uh, and a runner, and one time she was getting something. Uh, under the sink and she was, she was bending down and then she popped up really, really fast and hit her head on, uh, on a cupboard door that was open and it gave her a concussion that lasted for months. And uh, we know more about concussions now in that they're, they can really affect like depression and a whole lot of physical symptoms. And, and so she was pretty much bed bound. And then she invented this game called make Jane feel better. <laughs> and, and so she gamified her recovery by giving yourself points for things like being able to walk to the fence to meet her husband after work. And she gave herself a superhero name. Um, and, and so when you start to incorporate uh, this sort of gaming mindset, which um, also uh, alleviates this notion of failures being really heavy, like there's a sort of a soft failure that occurs, um, that uh, it creates resilience and um, she found that she sort of popped back into health through this through this mechanism. So 
um, resilience and the mindset of not being afraid to fail is part of this gamification mindset that she talks about. Um, and uh, she also has an app that's a free app called Super Better. So you can create your own uh, gamified program of whatever your goals are. If you want to lose weight or um, if you want to achieve something at work, you can you can create your own programs name. Yeah, and I, I think that for anyone trying to accomplish any goal, and students in particular, we're all, any type of human, are very, very hard on ourselves. And we don't give us credit for the stuff we do. We always just say, well, gosh, look at all the things we didn't get done. Yeah. I, and the little things matter, and the little things turn into habits, and that's where we can see change. So I want to back up just a little bit because you say such good stuff and you know so much. And I'm like, oh, pause, amazing. But the one thing you said around engagement was engagement has to be physical, it can be emotional, it can be strategic, and that you have to get the brain moving. And a lot of gamification activities can help with that, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't necessarily need to be directly applying to the actual subject at hand. And that's a big deal. I feel like sometimes as educators, we're always trying to make sure our lesson or this or that, but getting them ready to learn. Yeah. And I do a lot of that head nodding too. Like, mm -hmm, I'm here, <laughs> but I'm really not here. <laughs> How do you know that a student is really here? And I do believe there's a lot of people in ed tech trying to figure that out and make sure that kids are not just showing up attendance wise, but they're showing up emotionally ready to learn. And that's where that social and emotional learning comes into play too. But I just wanted to pause there. So I felt like that was a really good point. Did you want to add anything to that? Um, just that, um, that games are, are uh, a part of being human. They've been part of the human experience. Like, like I did research like half an hour ago on this, and the earliest game was called Senate, which uh, came out in 3500, which was uh, BC. So it's been part of civilization for a long time, and, it, and it's really important to us. I had this long conversation with my wife that you, you can cut this out later, but uh, I was saying, Randy, don't you think everything is a game, though? Like, everything? And, and she said, like, you know, like... Like what? And I said, well, you know, like our marriage, for example. By the way, this is not a good thing to do on Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> you know, which is which is you're marshaling resources, right? You're being strategic. You are trying to win a game of like being a good enough husband, or you know, they're they're all that. So there's a there's role playing that's that's part of it. Um, and, and, and so it turns out that uh, in terms of triggering students' emotions, when we apply any kind of gaming mechanics, even just slight ones, like putting students into teams or, or doing a beat the clock, any of those, those little moves that we make uh, tend to activate the sort of uh, gaming uh, brain set that, that, um, that students have. And to see that happen in the class is remarkable. I, and I should mention that um, I just started doing this maybe about nine years ago. Like I really started integrating um, gamification into into a lot of the things that I do. Um, like so, for example, like in all my quizzes, we'll have side quests where um, where there'll be a challenge question um, so that they can get extra credit with. So that kind of lowers lowers the stress there. Or I'll. Or there'll be an Easter egg or a surprise question, which is uh, answering something that they really are interested to answer and find out the answers from their peers, like um, which one of us, which one of the members of the class would be best to lead us out of the uh, zombie apocalypse or who makes the best burger in town, which has become very passionate about. <laughs> um, so so um, trying to sprinkle into the class delight um, really comes from the theory of gamifying things. Interesting. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about some practical applications? You're already kind of going there, but for the educators listening and they're interested in this, still might feel a little intimidating. I think the word gamification is a little intimidating. They're already just trying to keep up with day to day in such an uncertain time with a pandemic and a pandemic and what are we in? All I know is I'm scared and I don't have resources. And I don't have time to take time off, but how do I make sure that 
especially now you mentioned we have a time where kids are disengaged more so and they have every right to be there's just mm-hmm. a lot of going on a lot of trauma how do they get started are there some simple things that they could do i'm sure it varies by grade level but mm-hmm. maybe um, talk about a couple of things that that might spark their yeah. interest there are a few things that you could do um uh, one is something that I stole from Brian Stabnick, who he has a student of the week where uh, they get to wear uh, one of those uh, one of those cheap imitation wrestling belts. <laughs> so they hold those up and get to wear them around as student of the week. And, and the kids like that. I, and actually, I version that into medals like um, and I'll actually do. Uh, I'm doing uh, like students for the quarter, like best performance. And so they get the medals and then take photos of them and. Um, and they get that kind of acknowledgement. Um, but there's like really easy ways to, to integrate um, uh, like gaming principles. Uh, an easy one is like if you take a, take a diagram of say a ship or photosynthesis or a flower um, and like take, take an image that has all the parts labeled and then you white out the parts and then you get students into groups before you even teach the subject and say, on your own without using your phones, see if you can see how many of the parts of this drawing that you could label. Like even that um, automatically gamifies it because you have a you have an image there. It reduces cognitive load. Same thing with having uh, uh, a team there. They get really excited about doing it and just, and excited about um, success with that. So, th- so that's an easy way of, of doing things. Um, there are, uh, there are some teachers that have switched from using uh, uh, grades to using stars. So they'll get X amount of, they'll get three stars for a B, for example, rather than uh, rather than, than a score. So you could use symbols um, for students as well. Um, there's there's uh, another thing that um, like I do with, with quizzes that I should mention, and this is one of my favorite things to do is, um, and, and the students know this now when they come into my class, is that for my midterm and final exam, um, I'll give them uh, 45 minutes to do the exam. And I say, you know, let's say you get done early, you might want to hang around because um, at 5.45 tonight, I'm going to um, give you a chance to work in teams and uh, you can discuss the answers and and see if your group can help you. And so, um, (laughs) so, and uh, th- that's kind of exciting to watch them do that, and it kind of lowers stress because they can sort of check on their answers. Um, so, so things like that that are designed to c- sort of cushion failure are all come from the gaming world. Yeah, I love that. And as you talk, I'm like, gosh, I want you as my teacher. <laughs> when I got through with MBA school, I just felt, geez, we're, we're so traditional. We have these tests that are kind of meant to haze you and make you feel like you don't know anything. And then you go on and shame and maybe you get a C and you're like, okay, but I didn't really master the subject. It's more traumatizing. You make it fun. It is, tra- it is traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, the whole point. Learning should be fun. And that's the stuff you remember, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a little bit about the difference between gamification and game-based learning, but I feel like a lot of people get those terms wrong, and they might have, like, wrong associations with maybe gamification you know can you talk a little bit about what what people think maybe gamification is and maybe how they get it wrong like someone might do i don't know they might use a clicker and think that by using that clicker in the classroom that might 100 percent make it gamification and i think according to you there's some rules right it has to have to fulfill gamification i don't know it's not according to you i'm sure someone else made it up <laughs> so so it's, it's not according to me no um and um so it should have objectives it should have some kind of rules like um what can you do what can't you do for this and then should have some kind of reward um also games tend um need to have um interactivity of of some sort if it's social it's great if it's challenge it's great um and i think the best games put you into into a, a role, um, but I think what happened, like the, I think the biggest confusion. I, I had a colleague one one time who said, "Well, gamification—that's just you know, kids are are having fun." But actually, um, 
gamification is purposeful. It's designed to teach um, students something the same way game-based learning is, which is again, repurposing um, a game like Monopoly. And I actually had a, a, a profound experience um, at a uh, writing retreat workshop where someone had brought in a Monopoly game. And so we all played Monopoly, except the amount of money that we got was aligned with uh, a particular profession. So you get a bag with a certain amount of money if you were a teacher and a different bag of money if you were um, a banker. And then every time you pass go, bankers would get $300 and teachers would get 10. Um, no. so different questions. And so you, so it, it really illustrated the Matthews effect, right? Where the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Um, and I remember actually in that game, which I thought was, uh, was oh, that, you know, that's that's kind of interesting. Just the way it's, it's showing the sort of uh, how the system can work if you're cynical about it, I guess. And this one guy actually freaked out. I mean, literally, he had a psychic break during the game. Uh, I mean, it got weird. It got really weird. Um, and uh, we had to sort of calm him, <laughs> calm, calm him down because he was so angered by the uh, by the game and what it was communicating. Um, so uh, again, that's that's a toxic level of engagement. That's where uh, we've uh, we've trespassed boundaries. And I guess that's something you have to watch out for with games as well. Yeah, and I, I think with students as they grow up and get older too, and even adults, they have a hard time with terminology like equity versus equality. And I could see you using those terminologies and playing them out in a game too. Because when people do talk yeah. about the difference of the two, they almost share it like a game. Yeah. You know, like, have you seen the illustration where the kids are kind of like, it depends on where their seat is in class and they have to throw this like paper ball into this basket. But it, you know, if, so it, it, it's all spatial, but you have to figure out it based on situations like that. You have to experience it as much yeah. as you can experience that. Yeah. I think what you're talking about there is perspective taking that it, mm -hmm. it puts you into a, um, an immediate perspective. And I, I think that's uh, where simulations are really effective too, which is kind of world building, um, like mock trials, for example, seems like, um, uh, whenever, whenever you have a class reading about the Salem witch trials, then they always have a mock trial of some sort, but you can also do other kinds of simulations, like, uh, put students into a school board meeting to talk about the censorship where you have roles as parents or students or conservative parents or liberal parents. And, and then they, and they communicate that way. I've done that where the students can't talk. They just have to write notes to one another to try and figure out their positions. So that's a way of of uh, really quickly um, getting into a perspective and seeing what kind of arguments have weight and which don't. It, it's a, in some ways, it's a really economical way of teaching perspective taking. Yeah. Um... We talk about gamification and the benefits a little bit, making learning come to life, getting them emotionally engaged. It becomes something memorable. It's rewarding. Hopefully it's real world too. It has a little bit of PBL in terms of project-based learning implications too. But can you talk about the benefits you've seen by implementing gamification in your classroom, and you also write about this. And you know, there's a national audience that's that's listening to you and taking your stuff and going, I want to put this in my classroom. Mm -hmm. Have you heard from other people? And as you go to conferences, just what are the benefits you've seen that people just don't talk about when it comes to gamification? Um, well, one of the benefits actually is that it makes teaching more enjoyable. <laughs> and so I think. Uh, part of our jobs as teachers is when we enter the classroom, we need to look forward to something. And if you're walking to a classroom, and I, I know there are certain things that I teach that are like, okay, I know this could be really tough for, for the students. And I'm like, I'm kind of dreading how hard and how difficult they're going to have. Um, so maybe with this particular concept. And so I always plant something in my classes that I think students will like, and it's something that I'll look forward to. So maybe it's something new I've never tried before, like using Buzz in Live as a buzzer game. Um, and but I think, um, you know, when we think about engagement, um, we're, we're thinking about sort of leaning forward rather than sort of leaning back with your arms folded, which feels really differently. And but I, th I think as teachers, we need to also have that kind of lean forward stance when we're in the classroom. And if we don't have that, that means we need to modify. Um, what we're doing, I think. Um, 
And uh, it's been kind of fun just putting in these economical games, inserting them in, in the class um, has been really fun. And so like uh, sometimes as a class break, we'll play Name That Tune, where since we're in North Carolina, we'll just do North Carolina artists. Um, it's wild how, <laughs> how animated students get at, at trying to figure out um, which pop star that we're, that we're playing. Um, so, so I really like in, um, integrating energizers into, um, into the class. Um, sometimes we'll, uh, one of my favorites is the handshake game where I'll put students into teams and I'll say, what's the, what's your favorite, oh, sorry, um, come up with the best group handshake. And so they got seven minutes, they come back and it's hysterical saying, they involve their feet and limbs and dancing around. And it's, uh, it's kind of joyous um, doing that. So, yeah. And I bet you they, when they see each other again in the hallway, they're like, you know, doing their handshake. People think they're crazy, but they're just laughing and having a good time. It's that bonding. It's really fun. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. Um, so, uh, so I hope that, uh, that teachers are doing things to sort of take care of themselves. And one of the ways of taking care of yourself is like every period that you teach, you're walking, you're walking to class or you're expecting something and you're just, you're, you're trying something out. So I would suggest having kind of an experimental uh, mindset as you're, as you're doing things and be game for that. Nice. They want, they want all work, but that's part of the fun too. Yeah. I never thought of it that way, but as educators, we're always, I think they're, they're always worried about, you know, our, the students getting it. Do they have enough support? Am I doing enough? You know, all of these things, but it's, it's a, it's a different perspective to say, you know, what do I want out of this? How can this fuel me as well? How can I get excited? Like, even if my kids don't like this bit, this is about me. And guess what? If you're excited about it, generally they're going to be excited about it too. And why wouldn't they be if there's some gaming aspect to it? Right. So that's the cool way to think about it. You mentioned something that I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about. You said energizers. Can you mm -hmm. explain to the audience what that is and what types of activities those are? Sure. So um, energizers are kind of like a game or they can be a game, but the primary purpose is not like gamification is you're engaged, but you're also learning something about the content. Um, whereas energizers are brain breaks. They're ways of when, when students start to get that sort of free floating, um, they can't quite concentrate, things that like, and particularly after several periods, students are like that, then um, energizers are designed to um, give their brain a break so that they come back to the learning engaged. And um, the neat thing about energizers is that they are, and, and I'll actually, um, I'll send you a bunch of them, is that they um, are, are really economical. So maybe they're four minutes long, um, but that four minutes can be really important for student attention. And, and frankly, that's our, that's our biggest issue is like getting students to focus and getting their attention. And so energizers are a great way of doing that. So um, there, so there's, you know, there, there are lots of ways that we do that. Um, I'm thinking of, um, one that I like is like the, the team rock, paper, scissors. We actually did that at Edutopia, um, one time and I still look from them and I've, I've done that, that, that works really great. Um, another game. And that's, that's just doing just Rochambeau, rock, paper, scissors and just oh. getting them kind of activity wise or. I, I, I should explain. So the, what it works, how it works is that you're playing rock, paper, scissors, and everyone starts with the partner. And then whoever loses, they become the cheering section for the winner. And so what happens is you start to have these cheering sections grow and grow. And uh, and then after a while, then at, towards the end, then you have two people who are doing rock, paper, scissors, and they have uh, they have half the class cheering for one, half the class cheering for the others. So it, it gets it gets really loud and lots of mayhem and lots of cheering, lots of yelling, um, and it's it's just this weird stimulation of adrenaline. That's every time I've done this, I've done this oh, maybe fifteen times in different settings. It always it always has a payoff of um, animating everyone in the class. So yeah, so I think that's probably my favorite game. Gosh, um, I feel bad that I missed that at Edutopia. I know we've done, we've done rock, paper, scissors there, but not with the cheering section. I yeah, want a big cheering section. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it works great. Just the, the, the thing to tell students, though, is say, I really want you to commit to the cheering. And, mm. and, so, and so once they see that's okay, people start cheering, then they do it. I, um, anyway, it's pretty fun. 
Awesome. Oh. And if you send me some of those extra activities for energizers, everyone, I'll put those on the show notes and I'll talk about the link below um, in a couple of minutes as well. Sure. Um, one of the myths I hear is that sometimes like you can't gamify things if you don't have tech. Like, do you hear that sometimes? Like maybe people think that they have to have like really shiny ed tech tools to gamify things in their classroom. And while it can help, and I'd love for you to talk about some of the, the tech tools you've seen used mm -hmm. in gamification. And that's where our ed tech audience might want to poke up their ears a little bit more, because a lot of what Todd's talking about are things to make learning fun. And you all in ed tech constantly try to make your products do that. But can you talk a little bit about the tech aspect? Um, there's that myth, but then also what is the tech you see being maybe consistently deployed when people think about gamification? Yeah, there's been a lot that's sort of come out and you, you see them used again and again by teachers. Um, the, the one that I just um, found well, actually, actually last nine months was Buzzin Live, uh, Buzzin.live, and it's a freemium tool. And what makes it and so, so it has a lot of qualities that make it really useful for teachers. One, that it's freemium. <laughs> um, and so uh, you can pay and then have a larger group if you want to, or you can just use the freemium model. Uh, but students download buzzers to their phones and just it works really elegantly. And it has a simple interface for teachers to use. Because I, I think sometimes um, you approach other kinds of tools and they're just so complex that the teachers are thinking, I've got all these papers to grade. And I have to learn this tool. And even if I learn the best I can, I'm not sure if it's going to work in this context or what, what can go wrong. And they, so they start to become intimidated. So, a, you know, a Fisher-Price <laughs> interface is really yeah. useful for the, for the teachers as well as the, as the students. Um, so uh, th that's why I like Buzz and Live. live. Um, and may are... I add there, Todd, I think any ed tech coach, instructional coach will say, Yes, find those small wins. <laughs> if you're trying to get other educators to adopt ed tech too, like what's that, what do they care about? Like what's one of the things that like their challenges that you could make better with one little thing? Like say mm -hmm. you have a big robust tool and it does lots of things, but this one little feature helps them. If you get that one win, <laughs> then you can do more. And I think from the ed tech perspective, I think we make these tools overly robust when sometimes do one thing, do it really well, then potentially move on. Right. But it, that simplicity, and especially when we think about teacher time and mm -hmm. adoption and the lack of professional development to learn these robust tools, mm -hmm. all of these things, sorry to go on a soapbox, but it just hit something. And I was like, yes, simplicity ed tech, do it I, I, well, <laughs> do it unique. I think you're also, um, I think it's called feature creep, is it? Where it's just like, it's so many more, it starts to become like, what, what, what do I click on? <laughs> um, but there's like uh, Kahoot, it has been really popular. And I think that's because it, um, it, it highly engages kids, has lots of options, and it's really easy for, for teachers to use. Um, I still find lots of teachers relying on um, stuff that's been around for 20 years, really like, um, like Jeopardy templates. Uh, um, which is like a PowerPoint template. You can find free templates online or family feud game templates that you can also find with, with PowerPoint. And um, so I think also the one of the things to consider is um, like what game style, what universe does this thing fit into? And oftentimes if you can sort of associate it with uh, a popular game show that's been on TV, that is like, okay, I get this because I've seen that. I've seen that happen. So I kind of know how this is supposed to work. Yeah, um, just don't affiliate it with what is that Squid Game, the new the Netflix series, <laughs> that like violent game show. Don't yeah. do that. Okay, listening, but Jeopardy, yes. Um, yeah, there's some newer game shows out there that potentially could be a fit. But you're right. Every time, sometimes I see educators doing the real old school stuff because it works. You know, it works good enough for them. Yeah. But then I do see a lot of educators experimenting with things like Kahoot. Um, they use Quizlet too. Quizlet's popular, yeah, and also quizzes. Quizzes. As yeah, as well. Um, and I think one of the things to sort of think about is um, like and there's other games too, like Minecraft, for example, which originally was just a game for uh, that was supposed to be fun. Um, 
and for like creative and problem solving. And then it was repurposed for uh, for educators. I think educators um, kind of got on the on the bandwagon to to convert that into also a learning game. So it now has that um, uh, kind of reputation that goes with it. Um, and I, and one, for those kinds of games, I think uh, the analogy of literature is useful here. Where whereas um, like if you think about uh, books that were originally designed to teach skills. Um, those were like things like the Dick and Jane books. You know, they have a controlled vocabulary. And, but um, even though they're, they have some charm now because of our association with them, um, when you compare those to something like uh, Marie Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are, uh, there's a real art and a heart behind a games. And I, and I think sometimes that we think of uh, of these things as being efficient learning tools rather than, and we do things to kind of infantilize kids, like having super cinchy um, games with really dumb looking uh, graphics that, um, whereas adolescents in particular and even younger kids have a more complex kind of aesthetic. Um, and they can tell whether it comes from someone's heart or whether or not it's just designed to to have them uh, build skills. So, so that's why I like the literature because we also learn that from didactic literature designed to teach certain things that's just not as um, nutritional or as engaging as, as things that were designed for this real rich experience. Gosh, I feel like I could listen to you for a long time. <laughs> I'm like, there he goes saying all this wonderful stuff. And I learned so much and I am learning so much. And I hope the audience, especially the educators that are thinking about how can I use this, use these things in this concept, even just a baby step in the classroom. And then for the, on the ed tech side, how can I apply these concepts within our own product or service, or even just marketing as well? Um, how do I make it truly engaging for the educator themselves or the student? And Todd, do you have any thoughts around that? Like when we think about the concepts of gamification, what would you give advice for, for, you know, if I'm at the helm of an ed tech product, I want to make sure that it is engaging and fun. How do I get started? <laughs> it feels like monumental. And you do have some experience for, um, when you were working with that ed tech company, but like, how do you get started with something like that? And how do you test it to truly know that your students are engaged with the product? I know that's a harder last question. Yeah, well, I think ultimately when you ask students those questions and you're really honest about, and you really um, are interested in their opinion, whatever it is, students will tell you the truth about what they what they feel like it. I mean, a shrug means a, means a whole lot. Um, but I'd say for ed tech companies, starting first with what you think will give the audience um, kids the most pleasure starting with that before the skill is important because um, I because that's central to any type of type of uh, of a technology or a game that it, that it is pleasurable for students and not just the um, not just the the game design but also the aesthetics of it that um, that you you get a sense of delight when you start to click on it and when you, when you get to use that. Um, I guess the other piece of advice is that um, is that we need to prioritize transfer, and so uh, which is an educational term meaning that you learn something in one situation, um, and the ideal is that it transfers that learning transfers to another situation, usually an authentic situation, and so having having a product that's really committed to transfer not just not just a simple skill building but something where um, students can see that particular thing uh, being used that knowledge those skills being used in the real world as well so that is a point i haven't heard too much is how do we prioritize fun and that experience and that pleasure of learning with students and not try to cram everything in there too so much so that you're always looking at okay it teaches this 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 but it comes a laundry list and then your second point of transfer okay i know it but can i use it do i know how other people use it how does it apply to the real world it's so important um and just such 
unique advice I haven't heard. And I love how it applies directly to gamification. Awesome. <laughs> well, um, we're running out of time, unfortunately. I think we could talk about this a lot. And I think we're just getting to the tip of the iceberg. And I know you talk about this subject for hours. So I will display all of your resources in our show notes. It will be at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 12. So that'll be all the links and resources Todd gives us. There'll be a list of lots of activities because there's so many things you can do in the classroom. And then from the ed tech perspective, how can I incorporate these aspects, even just simple moments of, okay, this activity really is fun because of X. How can I incorporate that? into the overall experience of our product. Um, Todd, the one thing that we do ask all of our guests, which is a really fun question, speaking of fun and incorporating that into learning, is about inspiration. And right now in a pandemic, there's ups and downs. We were just talking before the show of just, it really depends for me how I'm doing um, on the hour. <laughs> There's a lot of ups and downs in my life in particular. And I know you've got a lot going on too. Like how do we all stay inspired amidst all of this? Like what are your tricks? Because you are juggling teaching, but you also do a lot of writing. And how do you keep inspired of it all because you always strike me as someone who's always intrigued about some type of topic and doing something fun or cool. So what are your tips? I'd love to know. <laughs> is it something you're reading, something you're watching? Maybe it's a, an exercise routine. Well, thank you. Um, that's, that's very sweet of you to say. I do, um, I do make sure that every time I walk into a classroom that um, I am, I, I am, leaning towards a, lots of enthusiasm and that I'm that I get there naturally. So, I, you know, I've got like 180 songs on my pump up jam list that I, that I play when I ride my motorcycle to, into work. And um, so I play music before class uh, too, as I call it bumper music. Um, but I'm also really uh, inspired by all the breakthroughs in education right now. Um, and I'll just recommend one. Um, have you read Annie Murphy Paul's The Extended Mind? Mm -mm. Um, this is uh, the most exciting book about practical applications of um, neuroscience um, to the classroom, uh, to just productivity that I've seen in the last decade. Um, I was so excited. It, um, my, my family was so tired of me talking about it. Um, and her, her thesis, and she talks about this elegantly, is that the important part of our learning about the brain is what happens outside of it. So our interactions with people, our interactions with things, um, our talk. And so she talks and she, her, her research is impeccable and it's, um, it's a really entertaining book to read. And um, so I'd, I'd recommend that highly. It's just a fantastic, fantastic read. I learned so much that I, I didn't know before. And I think that's because she's written on the brain so much that she's able to loop in all of this research for that, for that thesis. So um, I highly recommend that. And to oversimplify what you just said is basically there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the brain, um, but it doesn't really solidify until we have like external contact or feelings or actions. Is that is kind of what you said? That's right. Um, and so she talks to, uh, specifically about like what kind of movements help with what kind of learning or um, or she'll talk she'll talk about how just having an image for students to point at together reduces cognitive load. So mm. that movement reduces cognitive load for students, which is um, a cognitive load is, or overload is, is when you have, a, have um, too much stuff happening in your working memory. And so it kind of prevents you from, from learning in an efficient way, which happens all the time um, with students. Oh, it happens with adults, too. I talk about yeah. cognitive load when I think about user experience, designing websites. As a marketer, cognitive load is real, especially in social media. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, absolutely. we're throwing everything under the sun, and we're competing against so many things. And all of those things are stored in our memory, especially as we're scrolling. Yeah. But how do we contribute or maybe take away from the noise and, and create something that's valuable and useful. That's yeah. what I always challenge people to do with cognitive load, but don't make it so hard. Don't make it that we have to work for it too hard because <laughs> you're already fatigued, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> awesome, Todd. Um, well, thank you thank so you. much for spending time with us, for talking about a topic that a lot of people don't know about. Some might be intimidated. Some might just know a couple of things. So I know that some of the resources in our show notes will really help expose people to different activities that might, they might not have thought of. Like you said, you've got those long lists. It's like, here's a couple that might apply. Um, how can people get in touch with you, Todd, if they have questions or they just think you're an awesome person and they want to congratulate <laughs> you and say you were awesome on this show? Um, I'm addicted to Twitter, so that's a good way. Um, so at Finley T, um, F-I-N-L-E-Y-T, um, will get, we'll get my attention. Um, so that, that might be the best way. And then you also have a newsletter that people can sign up for for those brain blasts as well, right? So we can put those in the show notes because I think that URL is a bit long, right? Yeah. Okay, so let, let's do that. But there's a newsletter you can get on where you can get direct emails of his brain blasts, which are really cool. They're free. They're practical. Um, and they're just pretty, too. I love thank them. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, Todd, thank you again so much for our chat. I learned a ton. There was a lot of resources. We'll put them in the show notes. Um, to all of our listeners, I thank you for taking the time to listen and learn alongside us. I hope that you were able to pick up at least one thing you'll walk away with and you'll do differently. Or even if you're just inspired and say, gosh, you know, how do I have fun in the classroom? How do I incorporate fun and learning in my product? Like these are some things we need to pause about because everything moves so fast. <laughs> Especially now we have this weird moment of everything feels to move so slow and so fast at the same time. Bit of a time warp. <laughs> so everyone, thank you again. You can access this episode's show notes again at Leone Consulting Group. Dot com that's consulting group with two g's.com backslash 12 the number 12 for detailed show notes and thank you again we will see you all next time on all things marketing and education thanks so much for listening to this week's episode if you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper you can visit leone consulting group dot com backslash podcasts for all show notes links and freebies mentioned in each episode and we always love friends so please connect with us on twitter at leone group if you enjoyed today's show go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released we'll see you next week on all things marketing and education